All right, we've been in a series on menu, cup, and table, and this week we're jumping into the table. But before we do that, I want to tell you guys about a question that I found this week. If you go to Google or Quora or Reddit, you can find this question in multiple different ways, but asked again and again and again and again. Article and blog and book and help and all of these answer pieces on this one question. And the question is... Why is it so hard to make friends? As I was looking, one person put it this way in all capital letters. Why is it so hard to exist around people? That's not quite the same question, but I can understand that and I can kind of relate to that. But in the recent studies I could find, 45% of adults find it hard to make friends. The average American adult has not made a new friend in the past five years. Another study shows that 49% of people have less than three close friends. 12% of people have no friends. To be blatantly clear, what I'm talking about today is that our culture suffers from loneliness. But the Calvary has arrived, and as I was studying this week, I found one business that gave us a way out. So I read through their values and their mission statements. I want to read it to you, and I want to see if you can guess the business, okay? So this is their values. Creating a culture of warmth and belonging where everyone is welcome. Acting with courage. Challenging the status quo. Finding new ways to grow our company and each other. Being present. Connecting with transparency, dignity, and respect. Delivering our very best in all we do and holding ourselves accountable for the results. We are performance driven through the lens of humanity. That's the values. Can you guess what company that is? Amazon and then mutter, mutter, mutter. (laughs) Something house. Okay, I'm going to give you one more. This is their mission statement is to inspire and the human, to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, One neighborhood at a time. Starbucks, you got it. That is Starbucks. Chairman and founder Howard Schultz shares that he did not create Starbucks to sell coffee. Instead, he set out on a mission to create a third place where the glue is coffee. Or the admission price is coffee. You see, the third place is not just the physical place. It's a feeling and it's an experience. And everything adds to that. And Starbucks has very carefully tailored that. It's the ambiance, the plush chairs, the clean surfaces, the attitudes behind the counter all contribute to this idea of the third place. The third place is the place between home and the office. It's the place where you can go and you can talk. You can sit, you can relax, you can lounge, you can experience a sense of belonging. What Howard Schultz does and did, and set out to do, was not to create coffee, but he figured out a way to commercialize and monetize hospitality. He figured out a way to help people belong, not at home, not at the office, but in a public setting, where coffee is not the primary thing. They attribute their success not to coffee, but to the creation and sustaining the third place. In his book, Bowling Alone, Robert Putman reveals that there's been a 33% decrease in families eating together. A third of families eat less together in the last three decades. 
more than half of the families are watching television as they eat. So the ones that are, more than half of them are watching television. And over that same period of time, 45% of people, there's been a 45% decline in entertaining and having friends over to their home. I know I'm throwing a lot of stats at you today, but the idea is this, is that Starbucks got it. But the question I want to ask today is, does the church? Starbucks got it, but does the church? There's a single word that speaks to the lonely heart and creates community, and it's not Starbucks. The biblical word for this is hospitality. Hospitality, inviting people to sit at the table. And that's what we're going to be looking at today is the idea of the biblical mandate of hospitality. Listen, if you've been, uh, we've preached through quite a few spiritual practices of Sabbath and community and fasting and a bunch of others. But if you've struggled to get on board with those, today we're talking about the Son of Man who came eating and drinking. And this is your time to shine, baby. Listen, Midwest Church, we know how to eat. So this is your moment. In a very candid moment about himself and Jesus, Jesus shares the opinions that people were talking about him. And he says this in Luke chapter 7. You can actually turn there. We're going to spend most of our time there today. Luke chapter 7. In verse 33, he says, For the John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Some versions say the Son of Man came eating and drinking and surrounded himself with notorious sinners. I love that phrase, notorious sinners. You know, I really think that Jesus was a foodie. If he had an Instagram page, it'd be filled with this lamb and fish and bread and figs and wheat and all these other things, but it'd be filled with pictures of people that he was eating with and sitting down Jesus was always spending his time surrounded by people, usually at a table, eating food. Story after story in the Bible revolves around feeding people, being with people at a meal, or food-like references. Time and time again, we find Jesus connecting with people, more often than not, around a table. Maybe in your life you've experienced the same thing of where you've connected with people at a dining room table or at a card table where you're playing euchre or something like that. A coffee table where you're just surrounded and there's food or there's activities or something on it. But there's something inherently built into tables is that they were built to build connection and bring people together to share a moment together. Because it all surrounds this idea of hospitality. Today we're going to look in chapter 7 of Luke. At a moment in hospitality where Jesus connects with a few people at a table at dinner. And so let's read there. We're going to go to verse 36. And we're going to read through the whole story. And then we're going to back up and break down a couple lessons from it. Verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman From that city, heard he was eating there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, 
If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So we kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more than the other? Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Verse 43, Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with the tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. There's three things as I'm looking at the idea of hospitality and Jesus' interaction with Simon, the religious, political, high-ranking official leader in the city, and this woman that was considered of low repute and reputation. As far as down as you could get on the, on the caste system. And there are a couple things that we want to take a step back and look at. And the very first one is this, is that Jesus ate with people, and often eating with people he shouldn't have. Jesus ate with people and often with people he shouldn't have. Jesus spent his time with people he should not have, in the pious Christian's opinion. How Luke describes this woman is like a prostitute. It's not an illegal occupation during Jesus' time, but it was looked down upon and seen as unreputable. For Jesus carrying the title of religious elite, it was unseemly that he would make himself unclean by mixing with people of such a low class. Beneath his station, even worse, it could tarnish his reputation. Doesn't the Bible say to stay away from the world? And let's cut those people out of our lives. Jesus used the table, though, as an invitation to all. To eat a meal, to extend hospitality to sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes was seen as socially unacceptable. On their What's Happening in Nazareth page, you would have seen somebody typing and saying, Did you hear about Rabbi Jesus? He had dinner with this person. Can you believe it? What's the city coming to? It's time to pack up the camel and get out of here. But this is the heart of God, which is to draw near broken and hurting and sick people. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Jesus did not wait for this woman to become something before he accepted her invited her to the table. He knew her. The text reveals that he knew her sins and not just one, but the many. He even knew the thoughts that Simon was thinking. Jesus knew all of these things, yet still allowed her to come and to touch him, to be in proximity to him, to be accepted at this very, very posh, posh dinner. Often we see Jesus using hospitality, meals, walks, conversations to build relationships with people, to bring them in. Jesus used hospitality as one of his primary forms of evangelism. 
So often it's easy to build a wall and keep people out and wait for them to become the thing that we think they should be before they let them in. But Jesus goes and invites anybody exactly where they're at into fellowship and relationship with him. To share a meal, to eat with somebody, sit down at the table with them was seen as a a way of accepting them where they're at. You didn't share meals with people if you were on the same status with them. If you were different than them, if you were at odds with them, you didn't come to the table with them. That was seen as peace and acceptance. And so you wouldn't have seen a Pharisee, a high religious leader, sitting down with somebody that was living openly in a way that they thought was wrong. Or openly in a way they thought was shameful. Or openly in a way that was below the religious status of the elite. Yet Jesus did. Hospitality in this form reveals pious Christianity. It also guards us against the piety of Christianity. Pious, looking up the definition, it says this is making a hypocritical display of virtue. It's so easy to read the stories and the parables of Jesus and always side ourselves with Jesus. Yeah, of course, let the prostitute in. Yeah, of course we would have done that. But more often than not, if we're honest with ourselves, we more often than not align with the hypocritical spirit of the Pharisees. Jesus came not talking to the church. Jesus came talking to the sinners. The lessons he gave to the Pharisees were harsh. He came up with his own euphemisms for cuss words that we don't even say today. Whitewashed tombs and brood of snakes. It was crazy. But Jesus comes and he, in this moment, invited by the Christian leader, accepts her and teaches him. It's so easy. Really put yourself into the story. A high-ranking political and spiritual official is having this very, very nice dinner. At the time, people, the common meeting place were homes. And they would have them set up in such a way, historians think that they would have created the dining space open to a courtyard space that could easily hold 30 to 40 people. And so these conversations and dinner was not just a time to connect, but it was also on display. It was also a time that people gathered to observe and to watch. And so all these people show up for this high-ranking Simon, this leader, because he just invited this other radical rabbi leader that has a strong, growing following. And they come and they sit down, and they come to watch and to hear and to listen. And as the conversation is going on, in walks this woman. She's not making eye contact. She's making her way as quickly and slowly, quickly and unobtrusively as she can through the crowd. But as she walks by, people are noticing the really tight shirt that's revealing too much. The high skirt that's much too high. She smells of sweat and smoke. She's walking a little unsteadily, and they can only assume why. Finally, she reaches Jesus. And she loves him how she knows how to. Perhaps in her way it was truly affectionate. But for the onlookers as she's wiping her, his feet, holding his feet, crying on them, rubbing them, kissing them. This was bedroom talk. These were things you don't do in public. These would have seen unseemly. What type of woman does Jesus let touch him? 
what type of religious leader is this? It's so easy to hold the people that are sinners in our minds at arm's length. But that's the pious Christianity, the religious, the legalism that has crept into the heart of the church that holds people off. Because remember, Jesus came for us while we were still sinners. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way. He says, the pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. Curse words, tattoos, vulgar language, bad habits. Christianity today doesn't want people as they are, even if our website says otherwise. Well, we want people to come as they should be. Yet e- Jesus spends his time eating and drinking and welcoming people to the table. Notorious sinners, people he shouldn't be around because that is the heart of hospitality. Because hospitality creates relationships. Because relationships is the very heart of the gospel. That God came back for you and me when there was no way for us to do it on our own. And restored a bridge back to him. And Jesus does that over fish and chips. On a beach. Over a campfire. In a boat. Over bread. In conversation. Yet the upright religious spirit says. They can come on our terms. Don't go to them. They can come in through our doors. And sit in our seats. Don't go to their terms. Separate yourself from the sin. Separate yourself from the sinner. Scripture talks about being in the world, but not of it. And Jesus models that. He was completely engrossed in the underbelly. In the lives of the people that everybody else discarded and cast out, ostracized and pushed away. Yet he never succumbed to their level. He was true to who he was, which is love. And he received them exactly where they're at. Because he knew their potential of who they were going to become. Jesus spent his time with people he shouldn't have, says the pious Christian. Yet this is the important thing here. Is that Jesus receives people and lets them belong before they become. Hospitality involves welcoming, creating space, listening, paying attention, and providing. Meals slow things down. Tim Chester. The ministry of hospitality receives people in need of refuge. You know, in Numbers, I think it's Numbers 35-ish, God is in, they're creating, they've just won the whole promised land, and God goes in and he tells the people, He tells them, I want you to erect these six cities. Build these cities. They're going to be called the cities of refuge. And if somebody accidentally kills somebody, if somebody is hitting with an axe and the 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 head flies off and hits somebody, or somebody pushes a rock over a cliff and they don't notice and he's there and and it it squashes somebody. I guess all real life hazardous heralds, like uh, hazards working and living in Jerusalem or Canaan. Create these cities, these cities of refuge 
for people to escape to, to be safe to. Escort them there so that the avenging family cannot revenge if you live in the city. God's heart has always been one of creating refuge and safety for broken and needing and hurting people. He's always had that place of creating an open environment for you to come and to heal. To the blessing of our church, I believe our church has an anointing for receiving the broken people and creating an environment of healing. Bring them in, raise them up to send them back out. For whatever reason, people find this house safe. They find you a welcoming community. But we can go beyond just the walls of this church and implement that same spirit into the tables at our house of practicing that spirit of hospitality, of love and belonging. Jesus shows us that we can belong before we come. You know, recently we had some work done at our house and I was talking to the service tech that had come out and I was looking for just like a, just, just trying to get a taste of where he's at, just trying to see if there's an open door to talk to him about church. And so he had mentioned his hometown and I knew of some of the churches in that area. And so I said, oh yeah, that, yeah, that, this church is there, right? And his answer was very telling. Eye roll, little scoff, yeah, that place. I wonder what people who don't grow up in the church, who didn't ever come to a, 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 a small group or to a Sunday service, I wonder what they think of the church. Is it a place of judgment or acceptance? Is it a place of refuge or is it a courthouse to them? His answer is very, very telling. Joe Rogan shares about how as a child coming out of abuse, Running away from his father, he desperately hoped and wished and believed in God. But when he got signed up for a Christian school, the teachers who did not show God's example of love to him literally beat the desire of God out of him. Are we putting our expectations on people to change before they can belong? Before we can have fellowship or relationship with them. Luke 5, 30-32 says, But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to, not, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Sickness is uncomfortable. Now, I've been holding a coffin for two years just because I don't want to get ostracized by our community. Like, sickness makes you feel uncomfortable. You don't want to be around it. You see sickness and you just automatically want to back up away from it. But Jesus saw sickness and pushed in and embraced it and brought it in closer. Jesus steps into the attention, into the uncomfortable things because his mission was to make a visible God visible through love. Jesus allowed sinners a place at the table. You know, I was thinking about when I was just prepping all these things, I was thinking about our first place when Amy and I got married and we had a neighbor across the street that took about, I think, a month before we met him and 
two months before we actually had a conversation with him. And year, a little while later, after we wore down some walls they had set up, he actually told us that when people would come to tour the apartment, he would put on the most offensive music he could think of as loud as he could, trying to dissuade away neighbors. He really did not want people around. The first time my wife met him, it was she, I wasn't home. She would met him in the mailbox or something like that. He came up with some of the most choice and colorful words that we would not say in church. Things I didn't even know I had to Google later to figure out what he was saying. But you know, his only experience ever to, at church was showing up at a friend's funeral. Had never, ever been. His story is one of hurt and pain and rejection, like many, many of us in here. And he had taken all of that to create a wall. But over time and over pushing his, pushing his walls down and inviting him to barbecues and build your own pizzas and donuts and coffee and sitting outside and working our cars together and just talking, we were able to develop a relationship where he has been the best neighbor we have ever had. The kind of neighbor that calls us and says, you left your candle burning again in the dining room. You know where the key is. Would you go pull it out for me? Hey, I saw a guy walking around your house just to let you know. Yeah, that was my father-in-law, but thank you for calling me. We never needed a dog. We had that guy. <laughs> He's the kind of guy that's never prayed, never known how to read the Bible, but when he had a physical ailment, he allowed me to pray. And the results he got back, he could only attribute to God. We let him become, belong before we put those expectations of becoming on him. Listen, this guy had his own page in the community Facebook page for the shenanigans he would pull. I'm telling you, he was not loved in the community. But he was the best neighbor we've ever had. And we've had some amazing neighbors. That is not me putting me and my wife up on a pedestal. That's me just sharing an example of what can happen if you invite somebody over for coffee. What can happen if you can look past all the things that would offend the legalistic, pious, and Christian spirit? If you allow the person to belong, to accept them, the door for love opens up. Jesus used hospitality as a form of evangelism, and so can we. But this hospitality, it comes at a cost. You know, last week we talked about menu, the a community as a choice. That when you go to a restaurant and you look at a menu and you choose something off of it, it always has a cost attached to it. And you have to say, do I want to pay that to get that? Community, hospitality, it comes at a cost. It means giving your energy and your money and your me time, your free time, your TV time, your clean house, extra effort. It means putting yourself out off sometimes. But is it worth it to you? Is it worth it to you? That's a choice that only you can make. And here really quick is we're just going to be wrapping up our time today. Man, you can actually start making your way forward. It's just practical hospitality. Did you know that hospitality is actually a sign of Christian maturity and it's a requirement for biblical church leadership? 
1 Timothy 3, 1 through 2, and Titus 1 through 7 through 8 both dictate that deacons and spiritual leaders should enjoy having people in their house. Titus says it this way, A church leader is the manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Rather, he must, and this is in juxtaposition to all those things, rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home. He must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. Hebrews 13.1 says this, Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without even realizing it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. When you get to know somebody, you begin to own their experience. Dallas Werther says that community is taking responsibility for another person. All the stats I read to you at the beginning of this sermon, you've already forgotten them and you won't remember them, or maybe you'll pull it out as a dinner conversation or something like that, but you're not, that's not going to affect you at all. The thing that's going to stick with you from this sermon is when we talked about the woman and tried to put her in our eyes, break down her situation, feel and think about what we would experience because you're experiencing it, taking ownership for it. A mere number of fact is not going to change your heart. But when you begin to know somebody, your heart will start softening towards them. You can be easily dissuaded from practicing hospitality, especially in this present moment. Instagram and Pinterest and the China, our mother and grandmother's cabinets, tell us that it must be perfectly catered. Three courses, perfect for pictures, have to be cocktails and themed and wearing these amazing things. But here's the thing is that you do not have to be Shauna Nequis or Martha Stewart. You do not even have to own enough chairs for people to sit on. If you open the doors of your house and allow people to find refuge in your home at the table and belong, they will show up and they will keep showing up. Proverbs 15, 17, he says it this way, a bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than a steak with someone you hate. And my friend Tyler Chunderluck says it this way, peanut butter will fill all the cracks of my heart. So if you got two spoons and a jar of peanut butter, you're well on your way to hospitality. Hospitality is about creating a safe and welcoming place where people are invited in and can belong. I think of myself when I was 18 years old at summer camp towards the really end of a really, really hard week. And we had people that would show up in RVs and they would come for a week and volunteer their time and just help out. And I met them once or twice and I just got this really sense of longing and love for them. And at the end of the week, I just went down to the trailer park and knocked on the door and said, Bob, Shelly, can I come in? And I do not remember what we talked about. I don't remember what was said, but I do remember cookies. I do remember a box of tissues as I was crying. I remember encouragement. I remember hugs. I remember being supported by them and their little, little pool behind RV. We have a running joke in the office, Pastor Joe and I, is that when we ask each other for help or somebody for help, hey, can you go move this or can you come help me with this? No, but I can quote you a Bible verse. Your neighbors and friends and people that live around you don't want a Bible verse. 
They want relationship with you. They want to belong. They want to know that they're loved and accepted where they're at. That they're not a project for you. You're not trying to change them. Your job's not to change them. That's the Holy Spirit. Your job is just to introduce them to the God that you serve and love and model that as best as you can, which you can do through hospitality. Bonnie Christian, she says it this way. She's a blogger, a journalist, and an author. And I found a couple of her articles this week, and these two paragraphs just summarize this so well. Church unites us in a shared purpose more meaningful than sports or board games, more comprehensive than volunteering or activism. It binds together community and significance. It embeds us in a way of life where our responsibilities include ensuring no one is lonely. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister, and so we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. To share faith in God requires that we share life with each other because following Jesus is inherently communal and active. We need to be in each other's lives, and one of the easiest ways to do that is to be in each other's homes. One of the great prophets, teachers of the 90s, a child songwriter named Rafi, or Rafi. He read such great hits like uh, Baby Beluga and Shake the Willies Out, stuff like that. But one thing I want to leave you with is this. He has a song that goes like this. It's mine, but you can have some. With you, I'd like to share it. And if I share it with you, we'll have some too. You don't need to overthink hospitality. You don't need to think, I don't have a big enough house. I don't have a big enough living room. I don't have uh, nice enough stuff. It's not as good as theirs. I don't have a lot of money to spend on this. If you open up your doors, if you allow people to come to the table without judgment, without stipulation, then you can show them love well. You can model the type of love that Jesus had. And you can be a reflector of the love and the heart of God. Which, again, to finish us up today, to wrap up, is this. Romans 5.8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Allow people to belong before they become something. Allow the Holy Spirit to work on that becoming process. Because really we're all in a place, in a journey, and none of us have arrived yet. We're all on our way. Church, we just stand with me as we end in worship. The altar team will be available up here and in the back as well. And I'll be up here if you want to come and worship or pray. You're always welcome. The band's going to close us in just a, a final song. But just allow me to pray for you and over you. Father God, we love you. We praise you, God. Lord, I pray that practical response that goes from here, God, is not just not just a full altar, God, not just a, a response or tears in the chair, God, but that we would go out from here, God, and live hospitable lives, that we would invite people in, God, that we have eyes for the people around us that are hurting, eyes for the people that are offensive, eyes for the people, God, that wouldn't fit in on a Sunday morning, God, that we would use our homes, our RVs, our jars of peanut butter, whatever you've given us, God, as a means of evangelism, 
as a form of love for the people around us. All glory to God. May you make us bold. May you give us strength. May you give us wisdom and see the opportunities to speak and invite and to love people where they're at, Father. You are so good. In Jesus' name.